Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. 499 years ago from tomorrow, October 31st, a monk who was frustrated over an abuse he saw posted 95 theses, theses in which he wanted to debate the selling of indulgences, which was the selling of forgiveness of sins. You know that monk is Martin Luther. He was an Old Testament professor. And sometime before this, in trying to understand the Psalms that he taught, he'd come to understand something. Psalms like Psalm 51 had David admitted, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. So if we're sinful, if we're born without the righteousness we need to be saved, how can we possibly be saved? And other Psalms talked about the righteous believer. That sent him running into the New Testament. Now recall in these days, no lay people were even allowed to have a copy of the Bible, to touch it. The sermons, the Bible when it was read, was read in Latin. Most of the people spoke German in that area of the world. They were kept in ignorance. But he, because he was a professor, had access. And so he found through the book of Romans... That God justifies us. That means it's just if I'd never sinned because Jesus Christ suffered the punishment for me. The righteousness that the Psalms had mentioned was God crediting you with his son's righteousness, with his son's perfect obedience. He hadn't completely ironed that out when he nailed that 95 thesis, but he knew it was free and he thought this was just a local abuse. After nailing it, a hailstorm came along. He opened up a can of worms and he found out corruption went all the way to the top. Many things were reformed in that time. One of the many changes that happened was that that monk would translate hymns using the popular polyphony of that day. Mostly Gregorian chant was popular. Polyphony is the hymns we sing now. He would translate those, he would write those from scriptures, based on scriptures, for the German people to sing. And did you catch the words of today's psalm? 
If you've been to the Isaiah Bible study when we began that a month or several months ago, I'd mentioned that Isaiah is Hebrew poetry and lots of times Hebrew poetry doesn't work the way English poetry does because Hebrew sounds like you're clearing your throat. It's not very beautiful. So it's more of a, of a mental poetry where lots of times the key to the whole psalm or poem is the center verse. The center verse, if you'll allow me to read from my Hebrew translation, which brings out the word pictures, is verse 7. And that says, The Lord of multitudes is with us. The God of Jacob is a high place. And it says Selah. That was a musical term. So they'd play an interlude so that the people hearing it could chew on what was said. And that Hebrew word high place, in English we actually translate that as fortress. It's an impregnable fortress, naturally built on a spot that makes it hard because you've got to go up a hill to get to it. It's going to wear out an army before they can even try to run a battering ram on its walls. The beginning of, our, of the psalm said, God is for us a refuge and strength, a help in distress. He is exceedingly found. And Martin Luther would know that because a wave of persecution would come. He would have a ban put on his head. People wanted him killed and the Pope himself would say, if you kill him, we will pay you. We'll even get you out of purgatory for doing it. He could only find comfort in the fortress of his God as he stood on what the word clearly taught. In our last verse of our psalm reiterates that. It says, the Lord of multitudes is with us. The God of Jacob is a high place or fortress for us. Martin Luther wrote a hymn based on this. Have you figured it out? It's the hymn we just sang. A mighty fortress is our God. He's our impregnable fortress. When he says that attack ain't going to work, it just ain't going to work. And so our sermon theme for today as we work through our psalm is... A mighty fortress is our God. We will see he dwells in the midst of his church. He's exalted in nature and he's exalted in the nations. We have to understand what his church is. And verse 4 says there is a river. Time after time its channels cause the city of God to be in a state of gladness. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. What is the city of God? Again, if you've been going to the Isaiah Bible study, we've learned that God used the capital where the temple was, Jerusalem, as a picture for what people could not immediately see. When you're a believer, you belong to the capital city of God, the invisible church, what scripture often calls the new Jerusalem. The invisible church is made up of everybody who trusts in God for salvation. And there's this river that goes into it and it makes it glad. What is that river? It's the blood of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. The blood of Christ that washes you clean. That river is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring the blood of Christ to you. To give you faith to trust in that blood of Christ. He uses the word. He uses both the law to show you and I that we are sinners. We can't help it. Therefore, we can't earn our salvation. And so God became a man and won it for us and gives it to us. The Holy Spirit works through that very message and then he enters your heart so that you believe that very message. And once you believe it, he uses that very message to keep your faith strong. You water gives life. He works with that word combined with water in baptism and he seals himself. The Holy Spirit seals himself in your heart so that you are sealed into the city of God, the invisible Christian church. And of course, we need a feast. We need to nourish our faith. And so besides having the word that nourishes our faith and baptism that daily empowers us to fight against our sinful nature, he's instituted the Lord's Supper in which 
We literally receive the body and blood that was given for your salvation. So he strengthens and nourishes your faith. This is all done in the invisible church, but it gathers visibly. And sometimes the visible church, because you and I are both sinner and saint, we have, we have that new person that's alive in Christ and a member of the invisible church, but we have that sinner in us. Sometimes in the visible church, we see all kinds of problems. It happened in the Old Testament. The people had seen God's mighty power delivering them, and then they made their own golden calf at Mount Sinai when Moses went up to get the law in stone. It happened time and time again as they would turn to the false gods of their region. Later, he would destroy that and they would turn around and, and, and two groups would, would come into existence years before Jesus' birth. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees turned to the law for their salvation, thought that if they acted holy enough, then they would be saved. Does this kind of sound like selling indulgences, earning your forgiveness? The Sadducees, they didn't believe God's word was God's word. They didn't believe in the miracles and those things in it. It had become an intellectual exercise. So salvation became something else for them. They didn't even believe in the existence of angels. And these two groups were in charge of the Sanhedrin, which was supposed to be teaching the people, making sure that they were looking for the Savior. The visible church seemed to be shaken. Of course, Jesus came. All that was set straight. Christ dies and rose. And then he sent his apostles out and other disciples who spread the word. But hundreds of years later, the word was lost. It was buried away in churches in a language that the people didn't speak. And they had been taught, you won and earned your salvation with fear and trembling. God just jump-started you so that you could start the works, but you earned it. And if you weren't sure if you earned it enough, your only comfort was you got to spend a thousand years in purgatory, burning in a hell-like atmosphere for every sin you had not earned enough forgiveness for. Seemed that the church had been shaken. But God rose up a man and others who would follow behind him and put that man in the circumstances in which he would be in the scriptures. And once again, the good news that God loves you and freely gives you salvation was restored. And in the end of verse 5, we're told, <clears throat> time after time, God will help her at the crack of dawn. Just when it seems like the night is run its full course and everything has to be destroyed, the brilliant light of the good news of salvation in Christ comes. We see it over and over again in history. God still preserves his invisible church, even while nations and other religions attack and kill Christians, while the Christian church itself visibly will fall away. God says, no, I won't let it be destroyed. And so, as we see in the Reformation, as we see in other times in history, as we see in our own lives, we're even now in America, there are people that think Christians are the worst thing that ever happened to America. They're passing laws right now. They want to pass laws that will tell you what you can and cannot do religiously and violate an amendment that we're blessed to have. But don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they want to kill you for having that faith. God says, I will come. I will restore. My word will always work in my invisible church until the time my son comes. And you will see that in the visible gathering of believers. A mighty fortress is our God, brothers and sisters in Christ. He won't let that message that he loves you and has freely forgiven and saved you 
disappear and be erased. He dwells in the midst of his church. You and I are connected to him like spokes to a hub, and we will be for all eternity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there were many setbacks in the Reformation. There were times it seemed as if nature itself was working against the Reformation. Of course, the bulk of the Reformation was put on the shoulders of that one man, Martin Luther. Not that he was anybody special. He was God's chosen instrument. And saying, let's get back to the Word and do what the Word says. But when we studied the small called articles last year, we learned that during one of the great times that they needed that, that man who had, was, who had been so gifted, God gave him kidney stones. During the time when he needed to scream out the most because they were hoping to have a meeting, God allowed the man to have a heart attack and suffer depression from that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, lots of times it doesn't seem like God's working in nature, does it? It seems like nature's out against us and against his church. We're told in verse 2 of our text, Therefore we will not fear when earth-changing events occur. That is, when the mountains are shaken into the heart of the seas. Its waters roar and foam up time after time. The mountains quake time after time when it rises up. Selah. Let me paraphrase what it says there. There are times you'll see natural catastrophes that are terrible. But you don't need to fear. Because God is the God of creation. He made it. And yes, they're terrifying, but He uses them. He uses them for our good. And we're told at the end of verse 10, time after time, God tells us Himself, I am exalted in the earth. God uses natural catastrophes. He uses our natural problems with our bodies for a reason. To the unbeliever, those things are a warning. Life is short. Don't place your hope in this world. And for the believer, they're a reminder. I've got you. And so when these things come along, when you're diagnosed with scary diseases, you can look at death in the eye and say, throw your worst at me. I'm saved. I'm a member of the invisible church and God dwells in her midst. You can take my body, but you can't take my soul. I will live forever. I know, as Job says, that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, I will see Him, I and not another, with my own eyes. God will raise up your body and make it glorified. And when these natural disasters come upon our neighbor, God sends you with the wonderful news. God's at work for you. He's using this for your good. And what is, what is the way that you can know for sure that that's exactly the case when it's shaking and it's terrifying? Because he took on human flesh, lived perfectly for you, died for you, and rose for you. He's not going to go through all that trouble just to let something like that destroy your faith. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, God even works through nature. Even when the unbelievers say, how can God allow this catastrophe to come? We can say because he's warning you to stop your unbelief. And he's telling those who do believe in him, hang in there. This world is miserable, but I've got a paradise for you that my son won for you. A mighty fortress is our God. He dwells in the midst of his church and he's exalted in nature. And so we arrive at our last part. He's exalted in the nations. Verse 6 says, Nations roar, kingdoms shake. The Christian church has seen that. In fact, the Old Testament church saw that. God sent men like the prophet Isaiah to warn them. You keep following false gods. The government of Israel that was meant to point the people to the Lord was pointing them to worship Baal and Moloch and Dagon. False gods. 
But God worked. He sent other nations in to chasten them, to remove them, like Assyria and Babylon. The early Christian church found itself being persecuted by the nation of Rome. It was very simple. Turn over your scripture. Remember in those days, that was lambskin that had been tanned and you wrote it out by hand. Turn over your scriptures, offer a pinch of incense and a prayer to Caesar and we'll let you go. There's a little fish that people put on their bumper stickers that Christians would draw that. They met in the catacombs due to superstitions. They met in the tombs. And you draw that half moon looking thing and the other guy would draw it the other way and you'd have this fish. It stood for Ichthus, Jesus Christ, uh, God's Son, our Savior. And today that's become something that unbelievers mock. More Christians were killed through the Roman Empire until 300 AD than the Nazis killed Jews, which was also not right in the concentration camps. It always disgusts me that people today will put up a fish and make fun of that symbol, but they know better than to do that with the Star of David. But the amazing thing is, brothers and sisters in Christ, while the Romans were busy trying to kill the Christians, they grew. The emperors complained, the more Christians we kill, the more the Christians pop up. It used to be if you turned a Christian in, if you could prove they were a Christian, turned them in, you got their property. And Roman citizens stopped doing it. They said, whoa, this is the kind of neighbor I want. This guy is kind to me and caring. I don't have to worry about him stealing or being a shyster with me. And again, the government was used against Martin Luther and those who supported the Reformation. His message, let's return to the Scriptures. But God worked. We're told who causes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Time after time, He shatters the bow. Time after time, He cuts the spear in pieces. And we're told in verse 10, time after time, I'm exalted in the nations. The Pope used Emperor Charles to say, you go, you kill those Lutherans. But guess what? God had a different plan. It's amazing when you read your history how it works out. You've got to kind of connect the dots. You see, the Turks who were Islam were invading the borders of Europe. And they needed those German soldiers. So Charles did not want to come in and kill them to force them back into the Roman Catholic Church that they really just wanted to reform. But he put them on the front lines because he needed those soldiers. God bless them. They turned out to be very good at turning back the Turks. This bought the Reformation the time it needed before the, before the Roman Empire's government could come in and wipe them out. And after Luther's death, they did come in. They came in with their soldiers. They raped Lutheran pastors' wives trying to force them to recant their faith. They killed. They killed Lutherans. But that word, it's in the Scriptures, had, got, had rooted deeply Don't kid yourself, God also used government in a good way. Men like Elector Frederick, who got a guarantee that Luther could appear at the Diet of Worms and say those famous words, unless I can be proven by Scripture and clear reasoning, not by popes and councils that contradict each other. I cannot, I will not recant. And Frederick had him kidnapped and hidden in his castle. God used the government also to protect the very ones that another government was trying to kill. And when that government did finally come into Germany with its soldiers... God used the German government to send them packing. God had ruled through the nations. He still does today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a few days away from an election. And it's scary to think about whoever you elect, the things that can come. I've never voted for a president because I thought they would be the ideal president. I've always voted because they were the lesser of two evils. Isn't it scary to think of some of the things that can happen? Find comfort, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
God rules through the nations. When governments are persecuting Christians, God uses it to grow his church, his invisible church. Otherwise, he uses it to protect his church and give it a safe harbor that they can study his word in peace and security. He is exalted in the nations, and I can assure you, whatever person is elected, God knows. He has his plans, and he's still in control. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we have applied this psalm using the Reformation, we see through this psalm, truly a mighty fortress is our God. He has saved you. He gives you salvation. And so we can be confident. He dwells in the midst of his church, his invisible church in which you are a member, because you trust in Jesus for salvation. He's exalted in nature, so you can be assured whether it's good times or bad times, he's using it for your good and using it to open up doors for you to share the good news of salvation with your neighbor. And he's exalted in the nations. They can roar against him or they can work to protect his word, but either way, he'll work through them whether they like it or not. Praise be to our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.